at Pillar Oceanside, what he's doing in the lives of those that are here, that have gathered. It's just so evident that, that God is doing what only God can do to draw a, a bunch of people together that have nothing in common except Christ and His redeeming love and His grace and His mercy. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so one of the things that we kind of want to regularly do here at Pillar, uh, if I could qualify it sort of as the regular diet, if you will, of, of what we preach from up here up front, is going through books of the Bible. Like we see uh, clearly that there is evidence in Scripture that we should take all of the counsel of Scripture together. We don't like to pick and choose and just kind of say, oh, I like this verse, and I like this verse. You put together a nice little message, and then off you go. We want to take the whole counsel of God, and so I would say probably 60 to 70 percent of the year, you'll see us going through books of the Bible, uh, verse by verse, and there's a lot of good things that come from that, and so we've been doing that now. We are walking through Second uh, Timothy, so Paul's last thing that we have recorded anyway, that he ever wrote. And so we, we kind of went back and forth on what we want to call this series, and we landed on what matters most. So here's Paul at the end of his life, knowing that he's facing his death as a martyr, giving his life for uh, the work of the gospel being spread. His last words, what matters most to him is the gospel message being proclaimed forever. As long as we're on this planet, as, as long as Christ still has not come back, we are doing that work. And so I want to, um, you can flip to you, 2 Timothy, if you have your Bibles with you. If you have really tiny writing like my, my Bible, you might flip over it because it's probably just two pages. But, you know, New Testament near the back. If you hit Hebrews, you went too far. Just sort of back up a little bit. 2 Timothy. I don't hear a lot of pages turning, so I'm assuming everybody's just staring at the screen waiting for me to start reading. <clears throat> That's okay. You know, we, or you're clicking on your screen. I get it. That This is kind of a maybe a thing of the past, I don't know. I like having something in my hand to help me uh, stay on track. But anyway, we're in 2 Timothy. We're starting in chapter 2, and we're going to read the first uh, 13 verses. So you can follow along with me. Here's what the Word of God says. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself." 
Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. We're so grateful that you've given us all that we need, not only to initially come to a saving faith in you, Lord, because your word tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. There's power and there's life in these words. God, help us to use what we learn today, what we glean from your scriptures, what we gather from your word and apply into our walk today, or perhaps even, Lord, initially to enter into a relationship with you. God, wherever we are this morning, would you settle our hearts? Would you remove all distractions? Would you help us to keep our our focus on you this morning? God, help me to preach the truth with clarity and with wisdom, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the questions that you want to text in, if you have any, along the way, there's the number on the screen, also the number in your bulletin. Near the end of service, we'll come back up here and do uh, a Q&A to maybe answer some of those questions or at least give you some resources to help point you in the direction to get some of those answers. All right, so, so where are we in this, this letter from Paul to Timothy. Um, I would encourage you, you know, if you haven't been with us, um, go back and, and listen to the last couple of messages. I think this is our, our third or, or, or fourth week, third week in, in, in Timothy. So we know basically that Paul is in prison, that he is facing certain death, and he's writing this letter to his protege, to his, his um, disciple, race of this, and he's raising up to, to give him this incredibly important thing. I think we, we unpacked it pretty good last week, and we, we made it very, very clear that we've been given our mission from Paul, right? He told us to guard what? Guard the good, the good deposit entrusted to you. What do we learn that the good deposit is? It's the gospel, right? The gospel message is the good deposit that's been entrusted to Timothy. We know that. And by extension, it's been entrusted to us. We also now are the guardians of that very important lesson. We also talked about guarding it comes at a cost, right? There's, there's some suffering and some persecution that might be involved in caring for that very important message. And we talked a little bit about what it looks like to actually walk that out daily. So, if you look back over chapter 1, verses 8 through 18, you can kind of get a, an understanding of that. So now Paul picks up, having made very clear to all of us that are reading what matters most to him, and he tells us to be faithful to the mission. So if I was going to title the message, and I usually do, but I don't often share it, you know, it's just kind of for my own focus. If I was going to title the message and share it with you, it would be, be faithful to the mission. Be faithful to the mission. Because as I said already, we know what it is. Now we got to be faithful to it. It's not enough to just know what it is that we're called to do. Now we got to go and do it. So he's going to use three illustrations to help us understand the significance of our mission and what it takes to stay faithful to it. And so a lot of what we see in these 13 verses and a lot of what you're going to hear from me today is going to be kind of an encouragement and an exhortation to just keep doing what we know it is that we're called to do. And some of us along the way are going to pick up more ideas along the way of what it is that we're actually supposed to be doing. How do we guard the good deposit? How do we preach the gospel? How do we live faithfully in these things? But for those of us that have been walking this for a season, some for decades, how do we stay faithful to it? 
How do we not get tired? How do we not get weary? How do we not just lose interest and, and get off course? So we're going to talk about that. And he's going to give us three illustrations. So Paul's really good about offering encouragement. And so right off the bat, he's going to offer some really great encouragement. And that is this. He says, be strengthened by the what that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace. I think there's a few reasons why he starts off with this particular encouragement. One is the mission that we've been given is not an easy mission, right? It's going to take something other than our own strength to walk out this incredible commission or mission, however you want to look at it, that we've been given. Requires more than we're able to do in our own strength. It's a mission that it can drain us, right? It can frustrate us at times. It can put us on the sidelines if we're not careful. So even though it seems like a fairly basic statement to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, it's anything but basic. Why? Because it represents a truth that is the essence of the gospel. So what he's saying in this by being strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ. He's basically saying, live in the gospel every day. Now, you're going to hear that word a lot today. You're going to hear gospel probably throughout the rest of the time that we're in 2 Timothy because that's the heart of the letter. And we're going to hopefully give you a broader understanding of what we say, what we mean when we say gospel. But let's look at the very heart of that good news message. At the very heart of that message is grace. I think one of the best ways that I've heard grace defined is unmerited favor, right? We don't deserve it. We get something we don't deserve, whereas mercy is what? Not getting something that we do deserve. So there's two sides of this that we see, but grace is free. It's, it's we don't deserve it. God's giving something to us when we actually really deserve something else. It, it's the foundation of our salvation, Without the grace of God being extended to us, we have nothing. We have no hope. We have no future. We're, we're dead in our sins. It's, it's the love and goodness of Jesus alone extended to us. It's Jesus living a perfect life, right? It's his sacrificial death on the cross in our place. It's forgiveness, free forgiveness, not earned extended to us through the love of Christ. So to be strengthened by grace, again, if you're looking at that first verse, be strengthened by grace is to understand the gospel message of hope. It informs everything that we do. It shapes every thought, every word, every action. So we're strengthened when we think about the fact that we're forgiven, that we have incredible strength in Christ, that we have not to worry or have anxiousness or fear about some circumstance or situation, right? We have freedom from those things in Christ. So whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, our strength in the grace of God is the root of all that. Ultimately found in Christ's sacrifice for us. It gives us hope in the promises of God that we are in fact equipped for the mission. Wouldn't it be awful if God gave us this mission and didn't equip us for it? He's like, hey, by the way, this is going to be challenging. Um, and I say this all the time. I use that little weird phrase, that weird voice. Hey, you know, good luck. We'll see you on the other side. 
You know, that's not what we have here. He's saying, here's a mission. It's going to be tough, but I'm going to give you everything that you need. Be strengthened in my grace, in the idea that you've been saved, redeemed, rescued, that you're free in my strength, courage, provision, joy. All of that stuff is what it means to be strengthened in the grace. It reminds us of our true identity. And so I want to read Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that is who we are in Christ. That is like we are right there in the palm of his hand. We are exactly where we need to be strengthened, equipped, ready to do exactly what we've been called to do. We are positioned in Christ to run the race that is set before us and carry out that mission. Are you ready? Wow, okay. It's okay. Hopefully by the end, you'll, you'll be like, yeah, let's have to hold you back into your seats. Like, let me get out there. I've got to do this. Verse 2. Now here's a really cool rundown. A lot of people use this in, in, in training people and getting people equipped for what's going on. So this is kind of a, a, a transfer of the truth that we've been seeing. Um, and you can read it there, but uh, I'm going to unpack it because there's some things that are kind of alluded to and, and implied. So if you've heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses. So this reminds us that Paul had a message imparted to him. He was given the gospel message by who? By Jesus Christ himself, on the road to Damascus, face to face, was given this deposit, right? This gospel message entrusted to Paul. We know if you look back to verse 14 of the previous chapter, that that deposit was entrusted to Timothy. So we've got Jesus to Paul, Paul to Timothy. In verse 2, Timothy is to continue that pattern by what? Finding faithful men. That can be faithful men or women, but I mean, how do you look at it? Faithful people who will continue then also to what? Teach others. So you see this kind of handing down that we've been talking about. We've been using the language of passing the baton. Exactly. We see it from Christ himself all the way to us here 2,000 years later doing our part to be faithful to the mission at hand. I think this also means that Timothy is to find other faithful leaders of the church, like elders, because he tells us that they should be able to teach, and we see that as a qualification for an elder, pastor in the church. So it's twofold, uh, but, but we need all of us to sit under the regular preaching of the Word, to understand more and more about what it is that we're guarding Right? The more we understand how valuable it is, the more we're willing to sacrifice 
to guard it. Verse 3. So this is a reminder, um, that something we've covered previously, that we're to share in suffering. So I'm not going to go deep into that, but we know that. He's just kind of reminding you, like, oh, by the way, there is this aspect that you're going to be sharing in some suffering. But then he gives this very important title to Timothy, and by extension, us. He calls them in verse 3, as a good Christian soldier of Christ Jesus. Here comes the first of the three metaphors that we have. Look at verse 4. No soldier is entangled in the civilian proof since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Okay, so we're talking about a soldier, right? A lot of us in the room can directly relate to that idea. And these three examples it is going to use are going to show us a different aspect of how we're supposed to maintain our faithfulness with the good deposit that's been given us. So I want to ask, what are some of the first words that come to mind when you think of military service? Discipline. Discipline. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Courage. What is that? Obligation. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Obedience. Obedience. Absolutely. Yeah. Boot camp, training, right? I thought I heard somebody say pawn shop or <laughs> tattoo parlor. <laughs> no, that's not what I had in mind. Okay, now think in your mind, not just military service in general, but now we're talking about a time of war. We're enlisted into a battle, knowing that you're going to be going into war. I think, you know, initially comes to my mind is World War II. Right now, everybody played a part, even those that stayed home. Everybody played a role in this. But when you enlisted into the military service back in the 1940s, you knew what? You were going. The moment that you signed that paper, you were signing yourself up to go overseas somewhere. There was no question about it. Now, they received some very basic training, right? And then they probably blinked, and they were on the battlefield with a weapon in their hands, surrounded by a bunch of other 18-year-olds, confused, not knowing what's going on, but ready to do whatever it was that was set before them. No time to get really caught up in, you know, distracted by other things that were going on. I'm sure there were some questions like, why are we even here? But probably not, because they were just overwhelmed by the, just the enormity of the task at hand. They weren't distracted, though. They also probably didn't expect to be comfortable, did they? No, I would hope not anyway, right? Or, or some time of ease and relaxation, like this is going to be a little mini vacation. That was not in their vocabulary. It wasn't in what they signed up for, but they knew that. And they were probably sharper than they would ever be in their lifetimes, right there in the moment, ready to respond immediately. But how would they accomplish this monumental task? What kind of things would it take? Commitment. Words that you spoke already, determination, personal strength, group sort of gathered together, that sort of strength in numbers, and a willingness to suffer on the behalf of others who would benefit from their sacrifice. Now, does that sound at all familiar when it comes to the Christian life? It should. It should. So, we quote-unquote, enlist in God's army, fully aware that an army is intended, really, for one thing. 
right? You've heard the old adage that we, we pray for peace, but what? But we train and prepare for war, and in our case, an inevitable, actually ongoing battle. This is what we sign up for. So as we guard the good deposit that's entrusted to us, and we live out our faith, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, we do so, picture this now, as one who's sort of unrestrained, running headfirst into the fog and confusion of the war. Like, we're, we're doing this. This is part of what we're called to. Now, we're not crazy. I mean, most, most of us in the room aren't, aren't crazy. Some of us are like thrill seekers and are probably like, yeah, let's do this thing, right? But we have a very clear understanding. This is why we can run unhindered into the battle that's in front of us, because we have a very clear understanding that we do this in the strength that God gives us. Through His grace, God provides everything that we need. He continually pours it out every single moment that we need it. So make no mistake, there is a battle going on all around us. Do we know this? Do we understand this? Do we acknowledge this? Okay, it's a spiritual battle, right? It's unseen. We can read in, in many places in the scripture that describe this. Our enemy, Satan, wants nothing more than to pull us out of the battle by distracting us, giving us all kinds of things to worry about. If our attention is focused here on this problem, it's not focused on carrying out and being faithful to mission, right? That's how he works. But here's a spoiler alert for you. If you didn't already read to the end, the battle's already been won, right? Our enemy is still our enemy, but he's mortally wounded. He is dying. He will die. He will be forever restrained. But he's not going to go down without a fight. <laughs> he's going to try to take everyone that he can down with him. So know this. Look at 1 Peter. This is part of how we remain faithful. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, if there were mic drops back in the day, Peter could have just gone, Phew, dropped the mic, and be like, I'm out. Right? We know we've got an enemy. He's prowling around like a roaring lion. Does that sound like something that's kind of like sneaky? No. He's arrogant. He's cocky. I could take you down, Christian. Who do you think you are? All right, two more illustrations. Stick with me now. The athlete. But, there's a caveat here, he's only crowned if he competes according to the rules. So the picture that Paul has in mind here is as an Olympian, like the, the games, the Greek games, the Roman games, whatever the games were. They were important, significant. And so when you think of not just an athlete, but an Olympian, and what it takes to get to that level, what are some of the words that come to your mind? Training, persistence, stamina, discipline, singular focus, I like that. 
sacrifice, right? So all of these things, they do what? They prepare the athlete to get onto the field of competition. Like you have to do all the work before you get there. You utilize some of those things in the competition as well. But they mean nothing if you don't compete according to the rules. You could have the world record and cheat. Sorry. Doesn't count. So our mission is often referred to as running a race, right? And we learned last week that there's a lot of people in the room that are anti-running. <clears throat> so I think that actually makes us all the more aware of what it takes to run a race. You're like, I don't want to do that. I don't find joy in that. It takes effort and work to run the race that's set before us. And so we're called to run the race and to follow the rules, but not in the sense that we are under the Jewish law, that we have to check a bunch of boxes to earn our way in. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about running the Christian race lawfully according to the law of Jesus himself. That is, according to his teachings. What is it that he's called us to do? This takes dedication, commitment, all those words that we just Walk through. Focus was a, a good word that I heard earlier. Same as an athlete, right? That's why Paul uses this. But we can't take shortcuts in our walk. We can't because we'll either redefine God's truth or we'll ignore it when we start to take shortcuts. We disqualify ourselves. And actually, even worse, we sort of tarnish the message of the gospel when we take shortcuts and we preach a message on truth and hope and love and then we go off and act a fool doesn't work like that. 1 Corinthians 4.2 is pretty clear to us when it says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they may be found faithful. So it's not an option, church. We are required to stay faithful to the message that we have. We run the race, but we run it with integrity. Yes? Good. Third illustration, hardworking farmer. So I think a lot of us, I mean, did anybody grow up on a farm? Oh, wow, more than I thought. So those of us that didn't, I think, at least have a good concept of the idea that it takes a lot of work to keep and maintain a farm. Right? I didn't grow up on a farm at all, but I do have a yard that I like to maintain. I spend a lot of time out in the yard, and sometimes it can seem a little bit overwhelming, right, because there's just so much to do, but you're caring for these trees and these bushes, and all of it's like, man, okay, i got to go out and water again. Now the weeds are over here, now the skunk did in this, now this gopher's over here, and I'm like constantly trying to do all these things. And then you see this incredible crop of blackberries show up, or these figs start to show up on the tree, and apples, and all, all this fruit that starts to come, you're like, oh, okay. I get it. I, I see what's happening here. It's, it's, it's what's happening through the efforts and through the labor. But are there shortcuts when it comes to farming? No. <laughs> you take shortcuts, you're going to get who knows what. You're going to get all kinds of nastiness. GMOs? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. There are no shortcuts, but it does take an obscene amount of work. Like you're talking sunup to sundown, Monday through Monday. Like it doesn't stop. When you stop, things stop working. Things die, literally. So 
there's some similarities between these three, but there's one big difference, I think, between the athlete and the military and the farmer. When you think about the farmer, there's no spotlight, right? An athlete, you know, they have the media nowadays, and they have fans, and they have sort of, they can revel in the, the, the glory of, of the applause of man. The military nowadays is, is, is thanked, you know, for their service and sort of celebrated. Um, but how often do we celebrate and, and recognize the farmer? We don't, right? We say something when we don't have, you know, strawberries at the store or, you know, we, we curse them because the cucumbers are, you know, looking nasty. But we don't go out of our way to be like, yeah, thank goodness for them farmers, man. They are rock stars. Now, that's not why they do it, right? Of course, at least I don't think they would probably not be in it for very much longer. But it's a tough and thankless job. There's no punching of the clock, like I mentioned earlier, right? It's ongoing all hours of the day. doesn't matter what your schedule demands of you. You've got to get out there and tend your crops. That's, that's ministry, right? There's no on and off for being a Christian. There's no on and off for being available to a brother or sister of Christ. If somebody texts you at 2 o'clock in the morning and saying, I need desperately to speak with you, you're going to be like, yeah, just call me at 7. I'm off the clock. It doesn't work that way. That's not what we're called to. That is tough. To be available, ready to do the work of the Lord at a given moment is tough. But the share, the first share of the crop is what Paul talks about here. Caring for other people and seeing them grow spiritually, we get to be a part of the fruit that we see born out of their lives, we see them begin to be faithful, begin to grasp concepts uh, that were going to help shape them and grow them. And you're like, yes, that's amazing. That's exactly what I think that you ought to be doing. And I see the evidence of that. How many of you have participated in that process with somebody else? You've seen fruit born out of their lives because of the investment that you've made in them. That is a part. It's built in to the mission that we've been given. That's why Paul tells us we are like the faithful farmer who is helping to cultivate the crop of the body of Christ around us and, and see and be a part of that fruit that's born out of it. It's an amazing and wonderful thing. We get to experience in ministry. Now, when I say ministry, I don't mean vocational pastoral ministry. Like, I'm vocational ministry. That's, I get paid to do this. I had somebody one time tell me, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in full-time ministry. It's like, yeah, we're all in full-time ministry. You're in vocational ministry, that's your job, but all of us are in full-time ministry. Can I get an amen? Okay, just making sure. It's built into the mission, as I mentioned earlier. And we got to stay faithful to that. And so here's, here's the thing. When you look back at these examples, right, of, of running and training and battling and, and focusing and intensely laboring, sometimes it can seem like an overwhelming task. Like, God, I, I can't do this. And apart from the grace of God, you'd be right. You can't do it. But our lives should revolve around the gospel and not the other way around. That's what we call being gospel-centered. All right. I was going to go somewhere with that, but I'm moving on. Verse 7. 
Think over what I say. The Lord will give you understanding and everything. Thank God for that, right? We need understanding. He says, I'm going to give it to you. He knows we need it, so he's faithful to help us on our mission. You know, there's nothing worse than following orders and not knowing why you're doing what you're doing. It's confusing. It's scary. It's frustrating sometimes. Like, just tell me what we're doing so I could be more effective in doing the job at hand. But we don't need to concern ourselves with that in the Christian fight. Because the Lord says, I'll give you understanding. I'll give you wisdom. Now, we don't know every single piece, every step of the way, but we know the goal. We know what it is that our mission entails. So he begins to wrap up the section by pointing us to the hero of our mission. And who's the hero of our mission? Jesus. Yes, absolutely. It's all intricately intertwined and weaved together. All these things that we've been talking about, the grace, which is our strength, is the heart of the gospel. We discovered that already. Our mission is to guard the gospel and to proclaim it. And then the hero of the gospel is Jesus himself. He is the message. And he's our source to stay faithful to our mission. Verse 8, Paul says, remember Jesus. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Now, at first glance, you're like, what does that have to do with anything? Risen from the dead, offspring of David. I get it, okay? I don't get it. Explain it. In this short little statement, we basically know everything we need to know about Jesus. What do y'all mean by that? Risen from the dead, offspring of David. So we have this divine, human sort of correlation, right? If he's risen from the dead, there's an element that he was once dead, <laughs> Well, we know, by putting all this together, that he died for our sins, right? Paid the price, paid the penalty, was risen from the dead. So there's that divine nature, but also descended from David. So there's a, a human element of this. And also, David was what? He was a king, right? So there's a, a, a royal element to this as well. So when we read, remember Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, what we see is Jesus as Savior and Jesus as King. That's what we need to know about who He is. He's the hero of our message. Amen? And then all of this, verses 8 and 9, which we just unpacked, is preached in Paul's gospel for which he's suffering and bound like a criminal. But, but what isn't bound? The Word of God is not bound. They could silence Paul. They might try to silence us, but the Word of God will endure. Right? We learned last week that Christ himself is the ultimate guardian of the message of the gospel. But now the word of God will not be bound. Nothing can quench its power to transform lives until Christ's return. That's an incredible promise. So that means we're, we don't have an out. Like, oh, the gospel message, it fizzled out, so I guess I can pull chocks and head out. No, we're in it to the very end. So in light of everything that we talked about, the mission at hand, the gospel message of hope, and all that it takes to do that faithfully, Paul says that he will endure everything. And he has. <laughs> at this point in his life, man, there's not much that he hasn't had to endure. But he says, 
Timothy and church, I will endure anything for the sake of the gospel message that I might be called faithful to the mission at hand, which ties directly into when we stand before the Lord and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, faithful to the mission, the mission at hand. Paul is amazing. But he uses the term elect here, faithful for the sake of the elect. And, and we're not going to go uh, deep into that because it will derail us. And it's not really the point of the passage. But the point here is that faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing what? The word of God. So most of us are familiar with that idea. So where we stand on the doctrine of election and all that kind of stuff, which I'm not going to get into, makes no difference in what Paul is saying here. The gospel must be preached so that people can be saved. We all agree on that? If faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, all we need to do is preach. Nothing else matters to us in terms of how that actually comes to fruition. What God does in what order and how he does it through his Holy Spirit doesn't impact or change my responsibility to preach the gospel. Can we all agree on that? Okay, so at Pillar, this is an open-handed issue, what we call open-handed, right? There are some people that fall on one side of the spectrum of God's sovereignty and, and, and rule and reign over every single aspect of life, and then there's some on the other end of the spectrum where there's maybe a more a human involvement and a free will aspect. Open-handed. We, we carry it loosely because ultimately it's not a gospel issue. The gospel issue for us is faithfulness to the mission to proclaim it. God does the rest. Yes? Okay, good. Just want to make sure we're, we're set on that. Let's close with this. Um, let me read the last couple of verses because there's a, a more of encouragement. He opens with encouragement and he closes with encouragement in this section. The saying is trustworthy. For if we've died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure with him, we'll also reign with him. So this is, this is kind of the the promise of the reward of our faithfulness. We don't do it for the reward, but we see clearly that God tells us if we endure, if we are faithful, we will reign with him forever in heaven. If we deny him, though, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I think that's the biggest encouragement, because there are seasons where we just, we're not faithful. We're not. We get distracted. The enemy brings us down. All those things that we talked about that we try to avoid, there are seasons where we are not faithful, but that does not change God's character and his promise to remain faithful. He cannot and will not deny his faithfulness to us. And praise God for that, <laughs> right? So let us make every effort to him and to the mission that he's given us. Can we do that? Only through the grace and strength of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your incredible grace, your mercy, newness of life, God, the, the forgiveness and freedom that we have in you. Father, we know that we are rescued and saved through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And that initiates our 
relationship with you, Lord. But it doesn't stop there. God, help us to know that the truth of the gospel is not just the beginning of our relationship, but it is the entirety of our relationship. Every day, rehearsing the truth of the gospel to ourselves, Lord, remind us of the grace that we have, that it might strengthen us to continue to forge ahead as a soldier, as an athlete, as a faithful farmer, whatever we relate to best, Lord, to know that this takes work. But what better mission to be a part of than the one that you have for us? God, we don't want to be apart from that. We don't want to be in a place where we're not in line with the role that you have for us in your plan, your will. So Lord, I just ask that this morning you would settle and confirm in our heart that we have been entrusted with a good deposit that is the gospel and that we commit to be faithful and endure that we might reign with you forever. But in that process, Lord, give us the strength, the courage, the joy and satisfaction in you alone. Because this is about you, Lord. This is about making you known. Your message proclaimed to a world who so desperately needs to see it and hear it and walk in it. And we thank you and we ask this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen.